InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Few of us are physics experts, but most of us know there's no getting around the laws of physics, especially when it comes to driving a car. But does cheating the speed limit by a little bit make much of a difference? Well, for the surprising answer, let's welcome Michael Pravica, Associate Professor of Physics at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. What is it about the physics of driving a car that most people, especially younger drivers, might not understand? The first issue is that when you're in a car, if you're not physically connected to the car, for example, via a seatbelt, if the car has a sudden change in speed, which we would call an acceleration or deceleration, in particular deceleration, then you will continue moving until something physically stops you, such as the windshield. A lot of people don't think it's necessary to wear seatbelts. In fact, it really is because they don't realize when you're driving 65 miles an hour that you're going something like 95 feet every second. And that's like a projectile. So if the car suddenly crashes, suddenly slows down, unless you're physically connected to the car, you will keep going. And that's one of the greatest causes of people in accidents. They fall out of cars and they die. And they've demonstrated consistently that seatbelt usage is much safer, much more chance to survive an accident than no seatbelt. So that's one of the first things I like to explain to my students about the physics of driving. The body in motion stays in motion unless acted upon by a force. Now, you probably cringe, as I do, when you see these YouTube videos of kids like surfing on the roof of a car that's going down the street or something Mm -hmm. like that. That's extreme risk behavior, I guess you would say. Yes, it is, because, again, it's the same principle that cars will inevitably have to change the direction of their motion. And if you are in the back of a pickup truck or you're surfing on a hood, I do cringe. And it's amazing. I'll see accidents and you actually have to wonder what the people were doing when they were driving because it's hard to even reconstruct the physics behind what caused this accident. Yeah, and the other thing you will often read about in the news accounts of car crashes is that people are thrown from the car, sometimes quite a great distance, perhaps the car rolls or something, and I'm not sure people are aware that that could happen. Yeah, if you think about it, if you ever stop along a highway and you just watch the cars pass you, 55, 65, and perhaps faster, think of the people, the occupants inside those vehicles as essentially being without the cars, so they're like projectiles going that fast. If you suddenly have a crash, those people now, if they're not seat belted in, they're going to keep going at that same speed until something stops them. If a body is moving, it takes a force to change its motion, and that force can be the interior of the vehicle smashing through the windshields, for example. And so very rarely do you hear of people being ejected when they're belted in their car. When the car is rolling and they're ejected, obviously then all bets are called off or they might hit a tree or something. But at least in their car, they've got some armor around them that can protect them from whatever the car hits. We're talking on InfoTrack with Michael Pravica, who's Associate Professor of Physics at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Professor, let's talk about speed limits. What difference does it make if you go 5 or 10 miles over the posted speed limit? How does that affect you in a crash situation? Let me give you a very simple way to look at this. 
there's two components to a crash. There's your kinetic energy, which is your energy of motion, and then there's your momentum, which is just the product of your mass and your velocity. What people have a hard time understanding is if, let's say, you double your speed, so you go from, let's say, 20 miles an hour to 40 miles an hour, you actually quadruple your kinetic energy. When you have a crash, that kinetic energy has to go somewhere. If the car stops, then you had all this kinetic energy and suddenly it gets dumped into crumbling your car. The problem is the faster and faster you go, the more and more kinetic energy you have, as well as momentum. And so the faster you go, if you hit a tree, for example, the tree will be slightly damaged, but the car will be mostly crumpled and you along with it. So in other words, the kinetic energy basically goes as the score of the velocity. So the faster and faster you go, the more and more dangerous these accidents occur. Also, one thing that people have a hard time understanding is the concept of stopping distance. This again relates to something we call work. Work is done by the tires when they're braking, and that work is associated with the change in kinetic energy. So basically, if you have, for example, in that doubling speed example, if you have quadruple the kinetic energy, then you need four times the work or the friction to slow you down. And given that friction is limited by the surface between your tire and the road surface, that means you need about four times the stopping distance. So it takes a lot more to break a truck, for example, or a train, because it's so much heavier and therefore it has so much more kinetic energy. How about the factor of time as far as the human brain and reaction at various speeds? That's an important factor too, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I love to explain this to my students when we introduce the concept of velocity. And as I had mentioned, let's suppose you're going at 65 miles an hour, and let's say somebody in front of you stops suddenly for whatever reason. And as I had mentioned, going at that speed, that's about 95 feet per second. So your human reaction time is approximately the tenth of a second. So if you just do a simple math of one-tenth times 95 feet per second, you get about 9.5 feet that you your car travels before your mind even essentially recognizes the critical problem and then addresses it by slamming on the brakes. So you've always got at least a 0.1 second reaction time. And so therefore, if your car is less than 9.5 feet behind, or let's just round it off to 10 feet behind the other car, you will crash into that car. That's this whole concept of always have a large stopping distance. Keep the distance between you and the people in front of you as long a distance as possible because your reaction time may not be 0.1 seconds. It could be greater than that, and therefore you'll need more time to just recognize that you need to stop. Professor, I'm just wondering if you have any final words of wisdom for folks who go out to hit the road. Well, I encourage people to, if possible, take a practical physics course, learn something about the physics of driving, and I think it would go a long way to help them become better drivers. Michael Pravica, Associate Professor of Physics at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.